Um, hi, it's uh, Tom Hogan here. G'day, um, Tom. How are you, mate? Pretty good. Um, I've just turned up at the Vintage Golf Course. I'm just looking for exactly where I go. Right. Well, if you walk past the past the golf shop where all the carts are parked out the front, yeah, and you'll see the putting green. And if you look left at the putting green, you'll see a sign saying Richard Mercy Golf. And just follow the signs across, and you'll see my red car out the front of the shed. Okay, great. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm, on the other side of the, I'm on the other side of the two roads over next to the Praxis Range. Okay, I think I... Yes, okay, cool. I think I can... Okay. Bye. See My name is Tom Hogan, and I've just finished making a theatre show with my friend Bonnie Lee Dodds, all about love songs and the radio host, Richard Mercer. It's been a rollercoaster journey, and the ball certainly landed in the rough a few times. This is our second last episode, and, um... Well, we're interviewing Richard Mercer. The singer David Jones changed his name to David Bowie because he didn't want to be confused with Davy Jones of the Monkees. Not that anyone's ever mixed them up. Simple. But then there's the mysterious case of Millie Vanilli. The German group included the singers Fab Morvan and Rob Pilatus. As part of Millie Vanilli, Morvan and Pilatus skyrocketed to success with their big pop songs made on drum machines. Songs like I'm Gonna Miss You, Baby Don't Forget My Number, and Blame It On The Rain. songs don't really hold up these days, but Blame on the Rain will get in your head, whether you want it to or not. They even won Grammy Award for Best New Artist in 1990. But then, Millie Vanilli were caught in a lip-sync controversy on stage when one of the backing tracks started skipping. No big deal by today's standards, but one thing led to another and it turns out that the singers Morvan and Pilatus weren't even the ones singing on their own recordings. Which is very confusing. It's not like the people on the stage were stand-ins, it's that the people on the recordings were stunt voices. So Morvan and Pilatus called themselves Millie Vanilli and became quite successful with music they didn't even appear on. But as a consequence of this, their Grammy was removed. That's the part of the story that everyone knows, a kind of weird footnote or Wikipedia stub in music history. But here's what happens next. The actual singers who did appear on the Millie Vanilli songs released an album with the same producer, and they called themselves The Real Millie Vanilli. Because this is the real and sincere Millie Vanilli. But as part of this new album, they also hired a guy named Ray Horton, who was a kind of look-alike for both Morvan and Pilatus, presumably to make it an easier transition for audience members. But then they got the look-alike to re-record all the vocals, instead of the original singers, which is... Crazy, because you're calling yourselves the real Milli Vanilli. You can just release the same music, can't you? Well, you can't then hire a new person just because they look the part and then re-record the vocals because then you are very clearly not the real Milli Vanilli. But that's not even the crazy bit, because then they start getting album sales and instead of keeping the same personnel, they fire the new Ray Horton, the singer and lookalike, and replace him with a new guy named Kevin. And at this point, the band is no longer the real Millie Vanilli. You're just a cover band, three times removed. 
especially because there's already a band out there called Millie Vanilli, which was Morvan and Pilatus, who were still touring and making music as Millie Vanilli. It's like if we found out that One Direction weren't the real singers, so the same producer starts a band called the actual One Direction, but you hire five new boys to sing the same songs. Then they get on stage and say, Hi, we're actual One Direction, and we are very much not the actual One Direction. Well, if you want the actual One Direction, just, well, go and listen to One Direction. Which leads us to... Um, Hi, Richard Mercer. (laughs) It's a famous name, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it is. Uh, Which means you're very easy to find. You're fairly famous too, you know. Really? Hogan. I I should put Ben Hogan in front of you. He's (laughs) one of the great golfers of all time. Is he really? There you go. Does he he give lessons around here as well? Uh, No, he's well and truly (laughs) dead. Yeah, there's a a famous cricketer named Tom Hogan. uh, That's right. Who, uh, yeah, doesn't matter how famous I get, I think he'll always be on top of Google. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much for meeting me um, for this, uh, what (laughs) must seem like a very obtuse and obscene interview. Um, Well, it is rather strange. But uh, I I mean, I I imagine you kind of get it occasionally when people find your name. Yeah, uh, probably uh, twice a week, I reckon, three times a week. Yeah, wow, Uh, the name that haunts you. Oh, well, it does in a way. and And the funny thing is, is that... I used to do radio programs, for, but on golf. So I used to do it, uh, you know, they used to ring me and I used to talk to them all about golf and who I thought would win the next tournament in America or Europe. And um, um, so I was on the radio every week. I mean, I can hear it in your voice. You're naturally like you've got that, those resonant tones. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, I was at a party uh, for one of my close friends, Sons twenty first, and uh, I was down in down in Sydney, and he let on everyone. Everyone let on that Richard Mercer was going to be there. <laughs> so I want to tell you, it was a funny night because everyone kept on coming over to me, say, "You Richard Mercer," and I said, "Yeah, you don't sound like him." I said, "Well, I can change my voice." I'm sick don't, at the moment. Yeah, so, don't, yeah. Don't, don't worry about that. But it's the a voice, character yeah, I put yeah, on yeah, just I do, for the yeah. performance. They said, "Well." Can we, you see proof that you know? So I got out my driver's license and handed it, and they said, Well, how come you live up there? I said, Well, I live up in the Hunter Valley because I want to try and get away from it, you know, all the. Oh, I can't believe it. So I had girls coming over pinching me on the bum, and it was in, it was in wanting the photo with me, and so it was a, you know, that was, that was a really funny experience. But I, look, everyone who sees my name here who runs into me while I'm teaching will say, does anyone ever say to you, are you Richard Mercer, the love God? And I said, yes and yes. <laughs> I said, yes, I am Richard Mercer and yes, I think I'm the love God, but I, I, I don't, don't get carried away. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me that he's uh, that he would be hiding, you know, uh, someone like this. Like, this is like such a beautiful place, um, even just driving in here. It's just like open fields, uh, there's signs saying there's kangaroos everywhere and I don't know, it's just like a beautiful place. Kind of like you actually kind of could hide here. Yeah, he could, couldn't he? Oh, yeah. It's a uh, for the people who don't know, we're at the Vintage Golf Club, which is uh, two hours north of Sydney, uh, in the Hunter Valley, and we're a right in the middle of the uh, vineyards and wine growing area. And um, uh, we, we, I, and the and the golf professional here at the Vintage, and teach 
at the Greg Norman Design Course. So I've been here now for 15 years in the area for 20 odd years, 25 years up in the area. Uh, so it's, it's, as a friend of mine, Jack Newton, who, uh, sadly lost his arm in a, in a plane accident, um, says, and he lives in Newcastle, he says, he always says to, to me all the time, it's God's country up here, Merce. It's God's country up here. And it is really, it's just beautiful. But getting back to Richard Mercer, I've never met him. <laughs> I don't know what he looks like. Uh, That's part of his mystique. Though, yeah, isn't it? Like, no one really knows. He is just a voice or an he idea. Is, but when he when he gets that voice going, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I, even like when I looked you up, like you're quite prolific. You have some quite impressive stats to your name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, one of them was just like you're one of the uh, Golf Guide Digest was just like, oh, you're just one of the great coaches of Australia. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, I think it, just even being called that. Yeah, it's, a, it's an honour. Yeah. It's, it's an honour. Look, I was very lucky that I was born in a family uh, that were all golfers. My father was one of seven, so seven boys and a girl. Uh, when the youngest was 16 and two of them had polio, the highest handicap was four handicap out of a lot of them out of a lot of the boys and so um they three of them became golf pros and uh, or two of them and then their offsprings two offsprings became golf pros so the mercer name is synonymous with golf in australia very i'm lucky to be born into it in a way and in other ways it was a it was difficult for me in a, trying to make my name, make my mark. Yeah, amongst all that. Amongst all that, because my uncle Alec was uh, is famous. He he taught Steve Elkington, who was a US PGA winner, and and my dad taught uh, Roger Davis and a few others. And you know, I've I haven't got to that standard, but I've got a I've got a Hong Kong Open winner under my belt, uh, who won there a couple of years ago. I started teaching golf in nineteen eighty five fourth time. I became a golf pro in nineteen seventy seven. I played on the tour for a while. Uh, it sort of was never had the heart to sort of win a tournament. I won a lot of little tournaments, little two round one day. Every time I got in contention on a four round of the old heart stopped beating and I, I couldn't quite get it right. <laughs> the pressure uh, just yeah, there. pressure got to me. And obviously uh, that's like a thing that you'll have to teach like especially when you're coaching, you actually have to teach about pressure and dealing with that yeah pressure. exactly and and you know a lot of my good players that i teach I, I i can use my experience of 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 the years on the tour and where i went wrong and what i needed to do to fix it mm. and i've got a big junior program up here and i've got a lot of young juniors that i teach and a couple of the juniors you know show, are showing incredible potential but i keep on saying to them now without the right the right attitude Without the right attitude, you won't get it. Yeah. Because if you watch guys like Phil Milkerson and Jordan Spieth, they can hit it two fairways wide, and they can they can go and say, "Now, how do I find? How do I play my next shot? Yeah. How am I going to make par out of this?" Where you see these young kids and a lot of golf pros too who hit a bad shot and their head comes off and the pumpkin and the goes the on, them, and the, so. it's the end of the game. Yeah. And and it's teaching that, and that's not an easy thing to teach. Uh, you've got to have it built into you in a way. It's part of my dad used to call it the part of the DNA. Yeah, and uh, which if, is just experience, then, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. yeah, yeah, of course it is. And you know, when um, when you when you're teaching golf now, it's 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 hard to find 
the the fine line between telling them too much and not telling them enough. Um, I, like they have to find things out for themselves. Is what you in a, in a lot of respects, yeah, you've got you've got to you've got to you know move them in the right direction, and then say, all right, how, I want you to practice this for a couple of weeks, and I want you to come back to me with questions, and so then we can go to the next step. Exactly. But a lot of people come to me for a lesson, and they say. I want to be fixed now. Yeah, fix this. Yeah, yeah fix this. And I look at him and I went, oh, man, Drake the magician's got nothing on me. Yeah. A, a good couple of sessions yeah, on that one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I, I picture that being like you let them uh, take their big first swing and as they do it, you just like club them in the knee. <laughs> not, like, quite. Oh, <laughs> not, not quite. Not quite. But it's, look, it's a, uh, it's a wonderful life that I leave, lead. And I suppose in a way the other Richard Mercer – he leads a wonderful life in his own respect, but he's a bit of a recluse. No one really sees much of him. Yeah. Uh, where I'm the other way, I've got to get out there and be shown. Yeah, like you're the prolific Richard Mercer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, when I'm out there teaching, you know, people want to want to hear and want to see what I can what I can relate to them and how I can relate to them. I should say, it's a look. It's a fun life, and and through. Through my profession and through my life, I've met and played with prime ministers. I've played with, you know, uh, dignitaries and people as famous as Kerry Packer and, yeah. you know, and, and, and you tend to not take any notice of it. And, and I was saying earlier that I was, I was born into a very famous golf family in Australia and it was nothing for me to get home after school when I was a kid. And walk into the house, and there'd be Kel Nagel having dinner with us with his wife, who was a 1960 British Open champion and in the World Golf Hall of Fame. There was there was Billy Dunk and Cole Johnson, who was Australian PGA champions and Australian Open champions. Uh, Peter Thompson, who was five times British Open. There was nothing for them to be in my house when I got home. Yeah, so you were just like amongst that. Yeah, so I was amongst it all the time. So I never really got so-called um, starstruck by yeah. people who were famous. I was lucky. I was, you know, as I said, the, there was a lot of the stars sort of aligned for me. I remember I started to do my apprenticeship, not with my dad, but at a, play, at a course called Oatlands under a guy called Clive Johnson. And uh, I did about a year and a half with him and then something came up one of dad's trainees left and I went and did the last year and a half with my dad. And I remember him saying to me, son, you can still get out of this, you know. And, you know, you don't have to, you know, it's, it's a difficult life. It's not, I said, yeah, but I see the way you love it and I love it the same way. I just and want to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah. And, we're, and, we're, and he was very, very good. I used to go and sit with him. I used to get off the train uh, and walked to Kalara Golf Club where he used to work after school and I used to wait for him and he used to drive me home. And I used to sit and watch him teach and I used to think, now I'm going to get this right. This, the next lady that comes down, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to say, I'm going to work it out before Dad works out. So Dad introduces himself and says, hello, Mrs. So-and-so, how are you, blah, blah, blah. And what seems to be a problem? Well, I've got this bad slice and... And I'd be looking at so I'd stand up and have a couple of swings, and I'd say, "Oh, I know what she's doing wrong." And Dad'd go the opposite, and I'd get, and I'd shake my head and listen to him, and and 
afterwards I asked him, I said, why did you go there? He said, because, yes, you saw what the problem was, but you've got to get to the source of the problem. Yeah, and that made it very, it sort of stood out. And from then on, I always try to get, get the person I'm teaching's source rather than anyone can see the problem. But it's very difficult sometimes to find the source, what's causing that problem to happen. Yeah, because that's how you fix the problem. Yeah, and that's how you fix the problem. And sometimes you can say, right, and, and, it, and it happens to me even now where I see a problem and I look around and I can't find the source and I say, well, it must be a problem through habit. So let's try and fix that. And it still doesn't work. So I delve into it a little bit closer and I find that there might be a loose grip pressure that I couldn't, assist, couldn't see or there might be a bad alignment that I didn't notice or there might be shoulders going one way feet going the other way might be the fact that you know the weight's too much on the toes and you can't see it and it should to be a little bit more behind yeah. the toes I things mean, like that even in your videos which i've uh <laughs> watched quite a lot of them now just like <laughs> yeah i could get on the field right now yeah actually. you could be you'd be perfect <laughs> you'd be perfect I'm, i just yeah I, I every time you offer a solution you're offering like two or three different ways to approach the problem like it comes down to um, you're, you're making sure they're aware of their stance and their grip and their feet. Like it, it's this constant like assessment of all these different ideas yes. to solve this one little yeah, idea. Exactly. I have I have the four components that I that I teach with, and I say the first component is the ball. Is, is the grip? <laughs> no, yes, the ball hitting the ball. No, the first component is the grip. Second component is the setup. Because without those first two, nothing in the swing can be right. Yeah, and the ball can't go anywhere. It can't go anywhere. Yeah. So the third thing is the backswing, how you turn, how you get yourself set at the top of your backswing, all that sort of business. And the, and obviously the fourth and last one is the follow-through, hitting the ball and, and getting your follow-through right. But I say to everyone, I can't get number two without number one. I can't get number three without number two, one and two. And I can't get number four without one, two or three. Yeah, so So I sort of try and break it down and if I have beginners come I say look I can I can give you an image of the swing but the main thing I want to do today is just show you one and two if I can get the grip and setup right and understand that your swing is only ever as good as your grip and your setup let it then we can get somewhere. Yeah, of course. And yeah. it's just like if every single situation is following that four-step process. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. I so, mean that's quite a uh, I don't know just like having a philosophy on teaching that, I guess that's... Uh... Well, it's any type of teaching, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that good teachers, I remember as a school, good, good, I had a really good English teacher who made it really understanding. I had him and I, I did really well. I, I think I topped my class. Next year, I got a different teacher and it was like talking go- gobbledygook. Yeah, of course. And you know, it didn't make sense what he was saying. It didn't, he didn't put it in the common sense stuff. And I, and, and I think I, I think I'm lucky to get a pass in that in that in that year, uh, but I think that's the same in a, as a golf pro. It's the same uh, with with being a radio announcer. You've got to be able to portray your thoughts, yeah, and and, and connect to the person that you're connect, actually talking to. Connect of to the person, and and Richard Mercer does that perfect uh, on the radio. He connects. One of those funny things that you've either got it or you haven't, I suppose. And he was lucky. He was gifted with a of incredible tonsils yeah. that sound, yeah, his voice sounds amazing. You can just sink into them sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was lucky to be born with a, with a analytic brain for golf and, uh, and, and to be able to communicate well with my pupils. Yeah. And I suppose in a way there's a, there's a, 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 there's a linkage there between us both is because there's, you're always trying to communicate 
to your pupil or to your person you're talking to. And, you know, I've, I've had some success and I've had some failures. Obviously, you know, my father once said to me, you, you're only ever as good as your pupil let, lets you. And sometimes you, you can get some pupils who come along to you and you know you can fix them, but they hate the change. And I used to say all the time, look, if it feels wrong, you know it's right. You know, don't fight it. You know, if you, if it really, but I have some, I've had some pupils who, no matter what I've said to them, no matter how hard I've tried to change them, they don't want to change. They don't because they believe that the change is going to make them go worse and they hit one bad shot and they say, there you are. That's the proof. There, there's a there's a proof. See, and I say, no, 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 no. Give it a little bit of time to fall into place. You know, if, if like there is a history of solving these problems, especially in golf, there's a process yeah. and a technique and yeah. things like that. Yeah, so, so yeah. no, you know, but it, but you know, sometimes your your people won't let you get into get into their head, get into their change because they're scared of getting it, and I think that's human nature. Yeah, you know, human nature says. Oh, the barriers go up whenever you change. You see these old members of golf clubs and old members of bowling clubs and old members of anything. And as soon as someone puts up there's going to be change, all hell breaks loose. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you think, well, you know, I don't want to do the best for the club and that's why we're trying to do it. But yeah. in the members, all they, all they can see is that's the way they've always done it. You know, yeah, I mean, I guess golf certainly has that kind of conservative nature, like at least the, the perception of it is that it's conservative. And I guess it's like it would be hard to break that kind of culture sometimes. But in, in our sport, it's a, it's a very individual sport. Mm. Uh, there's Yeah, there's the Ryder Cup and there's a few other team sports. But the main thing, you're out there competing against yourself. Yeah, of course. And, and Like it's your own handicap and it's your yeah, own it's, and, and it's And you're trying to better yourself every week mm-hmm. out on the playing in the on your golf course. Golf pros, they're trying to better themselves every week and trying to get themselves playing better every week. Um, you know, to compete at the top level is it, uh, still amazes me how these guys can, you know, go out week after week after week. Um, it's a very difficult sport because you, you, not only mentally is it is it uh, putting an enormous amount of pressure on yourself, you're all also uh, physically putting a lot of pressure on yourself. And if you've got a family, you're travelling all the time. Do you take your family with you? Do you, you know, do, do you leave them at home? And you know, so all these things. It's it's. You know, people look at a golf pro and they say, "Oh, look, he's made two million dollars last year. He's made a million dollars." And yeah, like the money side of it, monetary side of it, yeah, for these good touring pros, is just unbelievable how much money they can make. It sounds but, like, but everything you're describing sounds so much like the life of like a touring musician, almost of like of like this kind of constant travel and no time to really kind of um uh i know get yourself into shape like mentally and physically and like need to find time to practice and uh focusing on your loved ones and social life thing like that like and the i know the very nature of like being a solo kind of uh, uh venture and not comparing yourself to others everything except the money sounds um similar <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. like like unless you really hit it right up there and become a sting or a or a u2 or a you know elton john you know yeah you, you're you, fighting yeah you, you're fighting and and in a way golf isn't as bad as that because if you're not so good you can still finish 50th on in a tournament and still take away you know five six thousand dollars on a big tournament and and you're still making money but you know out of the top echelon of of 
pop musicians and 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 people who who are musicians. You know, it's struggle street down yeah, the line. That divide I've, is huge. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got a mate who's a, who's who wanted to get into it, and he was he had a great voice, and he did everything. And no matter what happened, he just couldn't yeah. find the right one. And 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 yeah, there are times when the stars do have to align. Align. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's the same in anything. It's the same with me. It's the same. It's the same in any any sport. But in golf too, I was saying earlier, it's an individual sport. You're also playing. A ball sport where the ball's not moving. Yeah. Where every other sport, you think about it, except for croquet, the ball's coming at you. You've got time to think about, you know, tennis. The other person might, might double fault. The other person might hit one in the net. It's like yeah. counterintuitive to every other sport in that sort of well, sense. Well, that's right. And you're trying to keep your score nice and low. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah, so, yeah, look, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. I, you know, the more I look at golf, the more... I admire these guys who perform at the top level. The more I love trying to work out how it works and how the swing works and how mentally the swing works with physical. And, and you know, you, you, I watch some other teachers and, and they come up with these wide, wild ideas about the way it should work. But the ones who are successful are keeping it simple. My my father used to say it all the time, and it works to all types of businesses. The kiss principle, son. You've got to keep it simple, stupid. And if you and if you complicate it, and you don't try and find the the source, you don't try and communicate properly with your with your pupil, you won't have success. Mm. And as I said earlier, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sometimes a some days are diamonds, some days are stones. And some days you, you get out there on that range and everything sort of clicks. And other days... It's because, working against you. Yeah, yeah, and other days it works against you. And I think that, you know, uh, that's, that's the nature of the beast. It's the way, the, it's the way it is. But it's, a, it's still a great life and I still love it. And uh, uh, I've got two, two children who are 27 and, 20, and 29, just about to turn 28 and 30. They both play golf. They come up here and, and play golf with me. And uh, uh, one's inv- in, involved in the wine industry, which is close by me. And not only does he bring me a, a bottle of wine occasionally, but we we play a lot of golf together, and and that's great. And the other son, he's he's uh, just a stunning golfer who plays once or twice a year. If there's going to be like a Richard Mercer wine, oh man, get me a bottle of that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Me and me, oh, well, I might put one together. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. In your yeah, honour. Yeah, love yeah lovely. Unless, but, it's a, unless it's in honour of the other Richard Mercer. Who knows? Yeah, no, well, we could go in tandem. We could, <laughs> that's right. We, we, could, we could do it One's together. a red, one's a white. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we, we can toss a coin to that. <laughs> Um, just before you mentioned, like, you uh, 2 and Sting, like, are they the kind of musicians that, that you listen to or that you're kind of... I, I always, I always, and I always, grew, you know, grew up around the Fleetwood Mac, the the uh, Elton John, the, uh, you know, those sort of, sort of... Um, uh, yeah, like they are classics. Yeah, and like, they're classics, you yeah. know, the, the obviously the, uh, the, the Chicago... And America and all those sort of Peter Frampton, yeah, you know, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, I really love that sort of music, and I, and I, I, I loved a lot of the uh, the modern stuff too. I mean, James Blunt and Ed Sheeran. I really, loved, I went and saw a James Blunt concert, and I just, just loved it up here at Bimbadge and uh, Winery, right next to the course. Yeah, wow. I mean, he'd love it here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they have a thing up here next next to the Seventh Fairway, uh, which is Bimbadge and Winery, and they it's called the Day on the Green, and they have all sorts of different art come in during the summer period uh, each year and they set up a stage and everyone sits on the grass and it overlooks the stage and they've got seats and stuff. So they had B-52s, you know, Love Shack, yeah. baby. <laughs> a bit of rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had, they've had that. They've had, they've had Simply Red. They've had... Um, you know, this sounds uh, perfect. I mean, yeah, really, Joe Cocker. Sounds, they've yeah. had Joe Cocker yeah, wow. when he was alive. He was sensational, Joe Cocker. Um, yeah, so they've had a lot of good musicians. They've had Fleetwood Mac over at Hope Estate. Uh, they've yeah, had the, Sting over at Hope Estate. The Hunter, Hunter Valley itself has it's becoming a place of like I know whenever Dolly Parton tours, she like she's like I'm going to the Hunter Valley. Yeah, I think yeah. she performed to like what? Yeah, last she did. Year? Yeah, yeah, she did. Just like it is becoming a place, probably because it is just so scenic. Like it is so. I know serene, and maybe like there is room for that music to kind of fill it. I suppose. Yeah, I think so. And 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 I think that you know, music, wine, and golf, oh, yeah. great combination. <laughs> oh, what a day! Oh, what a day! I'm in heaven. I know. I think this this conversation has been like. Um, so kind of fruitful, kind of like golf is life or something like that. Or- yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. You know, there's there's so many things in golf which relate to normal normal life in in in, in itself. And you know, I see I see people who who are successful, people who are trying to be successful, people who fail at this game. But it doesn't mean that they're not successful in their own inner self. Uh, it's making sure that your goals in anything whether it be goals in in life goals in work golf goals in golf goals in doesn't matter oh, you don't score goals in golf that's football. no that's football yeah but setting <laughs> yourself goals i should say and uh you know it's so important i mean people people don't often give themselves goals to achieve to and 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 golf is one of those games where if you don't it can bite you pretty hard. You know, I've never seen a game which can level people out or make it such a level playing field or belittle some people so quickly and yet do the complete opposite as well. You know, you can be on a high, you can hit some of the greatest shots you've ever hit and you can see someone walking down the fairway 10 foot high and bulletproof. And all of a sudden, you see them two hours later and the shoulders are slumped and the lips down and, and it can change that quick. Uh, quickly, and and you don't really know when it's going to get you, and and I think that's the hardest thing of the lot is to be able to overcome that. overcome that, and that that's in life in general. You know, you you it's over uh, to, to be able to overcome adversity is the one of the hardest things in in life, and you know you see these a uh, lot of programs on television relating to depression and all those sorts of things and in a way it's the same thing it's being able to cope with things that go wrong and and in golf itself things can go wrong pretty quick and uh when they do go wrong you've got to be able to then turn around and say okay what's my best way out of this you know and and 
and never be scared to talk to ask those questions and ask those questions you know i say to my pupils all the time don't be scared to ask me the most stupid question can sometimes help you and i think that's important you know and it's the same in life in general if you don't ask and you bottle your your emotions up um obviously you know it, it doesn't come out right the other end and in golf you know i i see people who bottle their emotions up or let their emotions blow yeah. blow blow completely and 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 one's as bad as the other mm. letting your head come off and blow your head gasket is just as just as bad as someone who bottles the emotion up you've got to have that's why i always had a caddy that i could talk to and say to him he was your richard mercer yeah he was <laughs> he was now he was and i remember putting some enormous pressure on him saying now what what club do i have to hit here and he said, well, you're hitting... No, I want you to tell me because if you tell me, it's taking the pressure off and I'm going to hit the shot. Yeah, exactly. You know, but, but it's hard to have that... It's hard to have that when you're, when you're playing in a four-round tournament, you know that that could cost you the, the tournament or cost you, a, cost you the, the, making the cut in the neck, uh, you know, on the Friday. Mm-hmm. You know, making the wrong decision is some, something that can really come down and bite you. Uh, but it still doesn't take away that it's one of the greatest games... And it's a game that that you call penalties on yourself. There's no other. There's no other sport. There's no other sport that you call penalty on yourself if the ball moves or there's a twig moves the ball or you know you know I've seen I've seen and I've done it myself. Call penalties on myself and all my players and partners and the people who are watching said no, it didn't. I said the ball moved. I saw it oscillated and fell off its you know fell fell off its uh, axis. And they said, well, we didn't see it, Rich. And I said, well, I did. I'm calling a penalty on myself. I mean, what other sport would that happen? <laughs> yeah, normally you try to sleep play the <laughs> well, advantage. You, you imagine that happening in soccer or imagine that happening in football, you know, or rugby or something like that. It just wouldn't happen. And, and I think that's why it's such a wonderful sport. And, you know... Probably I, something to do with, like, the way that golf has lasted this long, I suppose, that it, it, it requires that kind of discipline, I suppose. It oh, requires 100, that. 100% right. And, and if you think about it, too, not only has the game of golf lasted since the late 1800s, um, but the age of the golfer, if you look at it, I've been playing now since I was seven years old. I'm 60. My dad's been a golf pro since 1953. He's 88. He's still playing... Uh, he's got a few injuries at the moment, but he's so he can't. But he's devastated that he can't play, and he's 88. I mean, and there's golf courses now everywhere in the world. So no matter where you go, you can you yeah. can you can you can go and play some golf. It's yeah. like a common language then. Well, it's it? a common language. It is, and oh, it's just like music all over again. It is. I can start <laughs> singing in the rain. And I'm bringing my full recording studio yeah, yeah, a song right. for you. It'd be great. Yeah, that's right. What would you say to someone not ready to get into golf? Like, how could you convince them? Like, obviously, that's part of coaching, right? Is to convince people that there's a reason to kind of be, to, to kind of be passionate about it, or to kind of. Well, I think I think as I said a second ago, it's the longevity. Yeah. It's, it's the fact that you know you don't have to go and and, and get a masseur after every time you play. Some people do, but no, no, man. again, it sounds delightful. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> um, but it's 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 being able to go out there with your mates and 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 play nine holes or play eighteen holes with your friends, 
And I tell you what, that's that's a wonderful thing when you think about it. Because every other sport you play, you're playing, you know, you're playing with a team sometimes, but you're playing against the enemy. You did say to ask the stupid question. So, um, just on a final thought: Do you know where the other Richard Mercer is? The the real one, yeah. Uh, the the other, the, oh, you're the, the love real god. One. I want the other. You one. mean the love god? The love god. Do I know where he is? <laughs> I I don't know where he is. Uh, he's he's a little bit like uh, the Phantom or, or <laughs> yeah. Zorro. Yeah, he cut, puts up. his puts his mask on and just turns up and no one recognises him. Yeah, it turns out when you need him. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah right. just at the last I'd, minute. I'd, actually, I'd like to I'd like him to ring me. I'd like him to to. Uh, uh, have a chat one day, and uh, it, like really, I feel like you two would get along. Yeah, I'm sure we would. I'm sure we would. <laughs> Although and, having said that, I and, haven't and, seen you two in the same room together before, so at yeah, this point, right. it could still be you. And 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 Richard, if you're listening, I could make you into a seriously good golfer. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Um, well, thank you so much, Richard Mercer. It's a pleasure. Uh, it was a pleasure to chat with you. You too. Richard and I then took a golf buggy back to the clubhouse. Richard's dog, a giant black poodle named Napoleon, galloped alongside us. We had coffee and talked about golf and life. I loved his uh, holistic approach to coaching, constantly reminding me of music and, well, the more I thought about it on the drive home, relationships and life. But maybe that's all subtext. During the interview, however... It really kept striking me that this rigid Mercer had a lot in common with the other rigid Mercer, and both had similar philosophies about their profession. But, um, maybe we'll leave that to the next and final instalment of this podcast. Because, yes, if you remember, Richard Mercer did get in touch with us, and he very warmly refused our offer to be in the show. And that's okay. Bonnie and I created the show, and it was the most joyous thing ever. The show is over now, at least this run is, and we found the greatest love song. No spoilers. So, yes, Richard Mercer said no. But that was a little over two weeks ago. And let's just say we need another episode for what happens next. Thanks so much for everyone who came to Love Song Dedications without Richard Mercer. It will have another life, we promise. Bonnie is back in Melbourne, she's been gone for about 72 hours now, and I'm clambering for a way to fill that void in my life. Driving around corners just isn't the same without her, trust me. I'll put links to Richard Mercer's Golf Academy in the show notes, and a couple of videos on YouTube. Thanks so much Richard, you were fantastic. So, well for everyone else, until next week, thanks for listening. Richard Mercer. Hi, Richard. It's Tom again. G'day, Tom. How are you, mate? Great. How are you? Really good, thank you. Really good. Um, thank you so much for um, <laughs> humoring me with this weird that's project. A, that's <laughs> all right. That's all right. It's quite an unusual request, I thought. I suppose you don't get it uh, too often? <laughs> well, not that sort of thing. Uh, mind you, I, every second day I'd have someone say, oh, are you the love god? Are you related to the love god? Every second day I'd get someone, I reckon. Oh, I forgot to mention, um, just when I was saying goodbye to Richard, uh, he exited by saying, just got to go see a man about a dog. And then he walked off into the bathroom. And then I never saw him again, which made me laugh so much. So, thanks, Richard. <laughs>